Welcome to Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I'm your host, marketing and mindset coach, Ellie Swift, here to help you connect with your clients, create life-changing results in your online business, and shine neon bright online. I built a multi-six-figure business in under two years and, more importantly, have supported my clients to get amazing results. My clients have generated five- and six-figure launches, tripled their income, and completely transformed their lives using my signature framework, the Swift Marketing Method. In this podcast, I take you a layer deeper into my business, my life, and my mind. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to another episode of Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I am delighted to introduce you to my guest today. Claire Wood is a business coach and a money mentor. She is a numbers nerd. In fact, she is a certified practicing accountant, a wrangler of two boys, a drinker of wine, a gym junkie, a wanderluster, and a podcaster with a reality TV addiction. She loves empowering entrepreneurs to manage their money and make more money. In this episode, I invited Claire on to talk about making smart investments in your online business. We chat through Claire's recommendations for the best investments when you're starting and scaling your business, the mistakes that she sees a lot of online business owners make, and how you can most effectively manage your money day to day. This is such a key topic and something that I speak about often with clients, and I know that it is often a steep learning curve for so many of us. It certainly was for me when I started out in my business. I also share in this episode the money habits that I personally have uh, each and every day. And so if money is something that feels really scary to you, or if you're feeling really challenged when it comes to your money management right now, then I would really encourage you to listen into this episode and take some notes. Enjoy. I know you're going to love this episode. Claire, I'm so, so happy to have you with us on Shine Online with Ellie Swift. So the first question that I really want to kick off with is what your thoughts are on needing capital to start as an online business business owner rather. Did you start with any backing when you started your online business? Did you start with zero dollars? Share a bit of background on that. Yeah, great question. So I started pretty much with nothing, to be honest. I built a website on Wix. You guys may or may not know what that is, but basically it's a platform that you can build your own website. I went to 99designs and had a logo created, which as you can imagine, I'm pretty sure I would cringe big time if I saw it again. But look, you know, I didn't want to invest a lot of capital. My background is in accounting and that 
still sticks with me to this day. Like I'm, I'm really conscious about profitability. And for me, having a, you know, untested concept, I wasn't sure if I would even enjoy, you know, being in an online business. So I personally didn't want to put a lot of money behind it. The first big investment that I made was that I hired a business coach. And that was a thousand dollars a month, which was huge for me. Like at the time, I hadn't even landed my first paying client. I'd done a few, you know, friends and friends of friends and things like that. But it was the best decision that I made because my very first business coach taught me how to sell and helped me land my first client, then my second client, my third, fourth, fifth, etc. So yeah, I started pretty much from a really low base. I had intended to spend very little, but pretty quickly I realized that investing in a coach would be the fast track to get to where I wanted to be. And so that was probably the first major investment that I've made. And to this day, my coaches is always the biggest expense that I have in my business. Yes. Amazing. So you mentioned there that you came from accounting. So where were you at? Like set the scene for us when you transitioned across, were you still working in accounting and starting your business on the side? What did that look like? And the reason why I asked this is I think it's great that you mentioned that you were like you were all in on starting this business, but there was no huge financial commitment in terms of you being like, I still didn't fully know whether it was what I wanted or not. And so I'm just curious to know a little bit about that, that, that concept of being like all in on your business, but still playing in a space where you've still got other options. Yeah, for sure. So maybe if I explain my background, it might sort of help. So I finished university. I did a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in accounting and I became an accountant. (laughs) I moved to London along with the majority of Australians at some point in time, like I know you did, Ali. Worked in accounting for, it must have been about 13 years. I hated it. I always knew there was this, this burning flame inside me that I always knew I wanted to run my own business. And whenever I'd meet someone who ran their own business, I was obsessed with them. I was asking them all these questions. I had these big dreams that was something that I wanted to do one day. But embarrassingly, I never took that leap. I never had the the faith just to trust myself and go for it. And the time that I actually did was because I had been on maternity leave with my first child and I actually got made redundant. And when I got made redundant, that is when I thought, let's just try this out. I felt like I had nothing to lose. So I took that step. And yeah, that's when I started my journey into my coaching business. I love that. And so at what point did you realize then, actually, I do really like this and I'm prepared to invest further. And then what did those further investments look like? Okay, so I knew that I was going to go all in when I landed my first client and that feeling of not only knowing that someone was going to pay for my support, but actually helping her to completely transform her business. She was in a space where her business was almost unprofitable. She had team, she was working six, seven days a week. And through the work that we did together, she doubled her business in size in terms of sales. She cut her overhead significantly and we completely changed her entire business model. And for me, that was suddenly like, this is what I meant to do. I meant to change lives. 
And that was when I realized this is what I was born for. And that's when I decided to, yeah, I guess really sort of go all in with it. But in saying that, of course, I did invest in my business coach before that point in time. I'd realized that if I wanted to give this the best shot of success, I needed someone who had already successfully been down that path. You know, I'm such a big believer in coaching. It changed my life. It continues to change my life, the coaches that I work with now. I definitely think that if you're stuck, getting support from someone who has done it is definitely the way to move forward. Preaching to the choir, right? Always, always. And, you know, beautifully so. I'm sure the majority of people listening would agree with that. And, like, you can't say that enough because it really is the truth. And I think, obviously, you and I both being coaches, we have this full-blown inherent bias, but I I see it to be true over and over again. And I've even seen it for myself if I've ever had like intervals where I'm not working with a coach, that that lack of accountability and that lack of having someone else with me in my business, I just don't feel as supported. And so it, it reaffirms that when that happens. So your next investments then after your coach and even through to now, like, can you just take us through as an online business owner, what that looks like? Because there's often misconceptions around how many expenses we really need in our business. And especially when we're being sold to so much through every subscription company under the sun. And so I'd love to know what that looks like in your business and what recommendations you provide and and make around choosing expenses. There's a couple of things that I want to say, you know, like I said, even though now I'm in money mindset, I'm big on backing yourself and investing. This accounting background has served me really well in business because I'm also super conscious of not over-investing. I know everyone's in a different financial situation. Some people have the backing of a partner or maybe they've got savings behind them. I did not have these things. I had a new baby when I started my business, a husband who just started his own business. So I personally invested quite conservatively, especially in the early days of business. Uh, My expense base was really low for at least the first couple of years in my business as I had in my second child as well. Then I reached a point where my second bub was getting a little bit older and I realized that all of these other coaches around me were rapidly scaling. Like I'm talking 100k launches, uh, million dollar years and I suddenly, you know, the fire in my belly was like, well, why can't I do that? I'm a great coach. And so I decided rather than to play into the victimness of it, I'd study what they were doing. And I went and looked and they were going to conferences in the US and they were paying these insane amounts of money for masterminds and working with coach after coach and doing programs and doing courses And I realized if I wanted to leap into that next level, I mean, I had a a successful coaching business. I could have kept tracking along really well. But I realized that if I wanted to leap my business forward, that I would have to do things significantly differently. So as my business has grown, I invest and I invest and I invest. And one of the first things that I invested in was uh, a a logo, uh, getting my branding up to scratch. And I went to a retreat with Denise Duffield Thomas, who's one of my favorite money mentors, which was fantastic. But that was a significant five-figure investment. 
But it, I just felt so called to do it. And being in the energy of her and other people that would spend that kind of money was just worth every cent. I've joined a high ticket mastermind myself this year, which again, from the year 2019 to 2020, my sales doubled as a result of being in a mastermind community. I did 40K this month. I did 50K. I did 70K. Suddenly that kind of success just becomes normalized to you. And, you know, last year I had my first $50,000 month. I had my first $100,000 launch. And that is just a result of being in the energy of the right kind of people. So the other thing that I've, I've been investing a lot in lately is courses. And I'm almost a little bit worried that I'm becoming a little bit of a course addict and I've gone a little bit too far <laughs> with it. Um, I definitely do think that one of the big things that I would say is don't overcommit yourself either financially or from a time perspective. And sometimes we see all of the things and we're like, I'm going to do that and that and that and that all at the same time. And I know for me personally, it has been something that's caught up with me is that when I overcommit both from a time perspective and financially, it can be really a little bit too much too quickly. So just be conscious of your growth. I like to invest, but also be really mindful about profitability through the process of investing. Yes, you know, there's there's business coaches that cost a million US dollars a year. Yeah, maybe you could go and get a mortgage and go and work with one of them. But I personally like to think, well, why don't you just, you know, take incremental little steps closer towards that goal? And and yes, the best branding person in the world might cost 250000 for a rebrand. But, you know, it might not be appropriate for you at this point in your business. So, you know, you can just move forward in a way that feels good for you at the right point in time. I love that what you really spoke to there was when you're in the process of scaling, that's when you need to step up, whether it's time or money or both. And I think that that's so important is that when you're starting your business, so essentially if I was to you know, kind of nutshell some of those things you said there. It's like starting your business, don't overcommit, be really mindful of what it is that you want to achieve, invest the biggest portion of the money available to you into a coach and then bootstrap where possible, knowing that especially if we're talking online service-based business, you know, you are your service, right? And then as you're scaling your business, asking yourself the question of, okay, if I'm deciding and I'm making that commitment that I want to scale, what is the extra money I need to spend or what is the extra time I need to spend or both? And so it's great because it gets to be a decision around scaling at that point of, great, I might be like you say, I might have a really great coaching business. I might have a six-figure coaching business or I might have a fully booked coaching business. And that might be everything you ever wanted and more. And if so, fucking amazing. Like there's nothing better than that. Or you might have made the decision of, I know that I want more. And so therefore to generate more, to create more, I need to make some new decisions. And so I really, really love that you made that distinction because I think that people can get confused between the two. There's one last thing that I do want to say on that, and I'm not sure if you've spoken about it on the podcast before or not, but the concept of be, do and have. And if you want to have something, if you want to achieve certain goals, people often look straight to the do. Like, what do I need to do? And this is one of the biggest things that I find when people are looking to invest in a coach. They're like, I don't need a coach. I just need Facebook ads. I don't need a coach. I just need a new website. And I, you know, it's not to poo-poo Facebook ads or a website. Maybe you do. 
if you're not being a different person, if you're not in alignment with the goals that you're trying to achieve, it doesn't matter what you do. You can go and spend all this money on a website and you'll still be getting the same outcome because you haven't fundamentally shifted who you are as a person. And that's one of the reasons why for me, my coach is always my biggest investment is because I'm like doing the work on me and who I am as an individual is far more important than the funnel, the Facebook ads, whatever we, you know, all those things that we think is going to be the magic bullet. It might be, but truthfully, like the big shifts that I've seen in myself, my results and my clients' results is always the work that happens within. It's always the mindset shift. And that's for me why that's the area of investment that I lean into the most heavily. hundred percent. And so essentially then when you're working with that coach and you're empowering yourself and you're doing that work on yourself, then you're making those really strategic decisions, right? And so if you are investing in the Facebook ads or the website or whatever, it's like, well, awesome. I know that that was from a really strategic and aligned place rather than exactly like you say, seeking outside of yourself for the answers. I really love that distinction. And I think it's incredibly important. And then, you know, so often what happens is that when you do it from that place, you end up generating a better investment because you've done things with your, I talk about it as being like putting your CEO hat on. So if you've done it from that place, you're far more likely to generate results. Whereas if you've just kind of thrown shit at a whole bunch of different walls, to see what sticks. Okay. So do you believe then, because we've talked about sort of a raft of investments, let's talk specifically about team and bringing on team. What are your thoughts on at what stage you should bring on team? Do you believe that you should be making a profit before you do that? I think it totally depends on the business that you're in. And I know this is a really frustrating answer. Tell me the answer, Claire. No, but the reason that I say that it it depends is because it, it really does. For some people, it's really appropriate to hire a team before you're even generating a revenue. That's going to be the thing that actually gets your business up and off the ground is the team member that's supporting you. For other people, you know, I believe that you can get your business up and flowing and then when your business is at an appropriate point in time, then you can say, okay, I'm ready to bring on a team member to support me. I would say from my experience that most business owners hire too late. They wait until they're at like burnout point and then they're like, oh my gosh, I need an admin person. And then it's this frantic hurry to hire someone at the last minute rather than, uh, you know, stepping into it when it does feel a little bit scary still. But yeah, like I said, I, I really do think that it depends on your business. I think it depends on what your business needs. One thing that I would say, and again, this is my accounting hat coming into play, people have a tendency to invest in non sales generating overheads. So a lot of clients that I've worked with will have an admin person and a, you know, a marketing person or whatever it might be. And they aren't specific sales generating roles. And I guess something I just want people to consider is if there's someone that you can bring in that will create more revenue in your business in a direct way, like for example, if you're a coach and you hire a second coach who you can uh, you know, make a margin off, or if you run a copywriting business, hiring another copywriter who actually is in an income generating role, that might be something that, that works well for your business. It's not to say don't hire an admin person. I mean, the first role <laughs> that I hired and the first role that I encourage a lot of people to hire is an admin person to allow you to step into your role. But just something to bear in mind is don't spend more money 
on on your admin person and you're making a profit. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Well, I think that there's a lot more fear bringing on those front-facing people, right? Because for, for so many different reasons, and it can be everything from how am I ever going to bring on somebody that's going to be front-facing or working with my clients that's going to do things as well as I can, or I've built a business that's based on quality. How am I ever going to be able to teach what I know to someone else? And all of those fears. Whereas if you've got that admin person that comes in, it's like, here's all the shit that I don't want to do because you know, 99% of the time, that's the kind of stuff that the CEO doesn't want to do. And it's just going to be so much easier to to hand those things over. But I agree with you. I think when you're, especially when you're at that point, when you're a multiple six-figure business owner, you've surpassed six figures and you're getting into bigger scaling territory. If you're doing everything on your own without having anyone else that's front facing with your clients or generating sales, then you're really in, in burnout territory. So I, I really agree with that. What are the biggest financial mistakes you see? So you've mentioned a few, you've, you've talked about, you know, not necessarily hiring in terms of income generating roles. We've talked about things like, you know, taking on too many subscriptions. Are, are there any like things that you see over and over again as a, okay, yeah, let's not do that. That's a really easy thing to do or yeah. Yes. So many. Okay. First one that I think is not knowing your numbers. And it's such an easy trap for people to fall into. Like as soon as I explain to people that I have a background in accounting, I can almost see their eyes glaze over like, oh, Claire, do we have to go there? Your profit and loss statement tells you how much money you are making. In the online space, there's this trend and you'll notice even I've been doing it actually, (laughs) talking about a 50K month and 100K launch, right? That's not profit, people. That is sales. And you don't get to keep your sales number. You get to keep your profit number plus your wages, of course, if you're paying yourself a wage. But this is one of the things that I would say that the majority of really successful business owners that I work with can't honestly tell you what their profit number is. And that's a big, big thing that I would encourage everyone to do is to familiarize yourself with basic accounting principles and know how to run this report, know what it means, know how to understand it and analyze it, and importantly, know how to take corrective action if things aren't where you want them to be. I'm really trying relatively unsuccessfully as it seems at the start, to start to use profit numbers instead of sales. Sales are a really sexy number and they can be a good indicator around the success of a business. But I really want to start talking about profit as much as sales because that's the true figure that you get to keep. So that's one thing. The second thing that I would say is that your cash flow is different to your profitability. And I'm actually doing a podcast episode on this very soon myself, because as someone who is running a a really profitable business, I have actually experienced this myself recently, that the cash that's in your bank account isn't reflective necessarily of your profit and loss. And what that means is that I'm being really vulnerable here, but sometimes through the Christmas period, people don't pay their invoices. It's coming. It's right before Christmas. Cash might be a bit tight for them. And so what happens is that Yes, they owe you money, but they might not settle at this side of Christmas, which of course we then know extends right through New Year, which then means it might be into January before those payments come through. 
And so what can happen is even though you have inverted commas earned the profit, it might not be sitting in your bank account. Or you might be leaning into your growth so excitedly and aggressively that you're investing so much that the money's going out as fast as it's coming in. So I think that's another thing that I really encourage people to look at. And tied in with that is making sure that you write across your tax. Because again, that is something that just screws people time and time again is that you have these massive months and you forget that actually a big chunk of that has to go back to the government. So I really encourage you to put aside that the money, you know, if you're in Australia called GST, if you're in other parts of the world, it might be called VAT and also your personal income tax or company tax if it's relevant. So making sure that you're aware of your taxation obligations and that you're putting that money aside because Even though we get taxed in a different way, we still get taxed. So make sure that you're being mindful of that or you'll end up with this massive outgoing that you have to come up with the cash for. I remember when, um, I think it was about two, two and a half years ago, we switched to a company structure and I remember going through all of the different taxes now that we were a company structure and what that looked like. And quite honestly, my head was swelling, you know, non-accounting background CEO over here, right? And I I remember feeling wildly lost and confused by it all. And so I think to anyone that is listening, know that you can not know things and learn over time, but don't put yourself in the position where you turn a blind eye because you don't know things. Like we all like to feel smart. I'm putting both my hands up right now, but you know, you're not going to be smarter by yeah, turning a blind eye and avoiding your numbers. I look at my profit loss, profit and loss weekly, if not bi-weekly. Do I know and understand every single number that's in there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not an accountant. I know the important numbers that are in there. I know the correlation between that and my cash flow. So like you said, Claire, what's in my bank accounts at that time. And then everything else, I have a great accountant who I ask those questions. I have a great bookkeeper who I ask those questions. And so knowing those things are so, so important. And I think that, uh, yeah, the reason so many people don't is because they're like, well, I'm I'm supposed to just innately understand and know all of this information. But I can tell you like being at a point where, you know, we're on track to make seven figures this year, there's so much I still don't know. And I'm totally fine with that because I know that I've built a team of people around me who do have that information and I can lean on them at any time. And one thing that I would say there too, you know, I spent six years at university studying accounting. I did um, obviously my undergrad and my postgrad. I still don't understand a lot of stuff <laughs> when it comes Thank to Thank you for that numbers. honesty. <laughs> so like quite often our accountant will say something and I'm like, but you know, do, do we have to pay tax on, on that? And the reason why I am not scared to ask numbers and you'd think like for someone who's a CPA to say, I don't understand that, I would say that in probably every meeting I have with my accountant. I am not up to date on tax legislation. Um, you know, it's been many, many years since I finished my studies. And quite frankly, some of it I've just forgotten. And I think that there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking questions. And it's one of my 
best tips is if there's something you don't understand, go, I don't understand that. Can you draw it for me? Can you explain it to me? I love to explain accounting things to try and, you know, help people have that aha to really understand it and put it into plain English. And if you don't understand, you know, no one's judging you. Like I said, I still have questions and things that I don't understand all the time, but I ask the question and I continually want to keep up leveling my financial literacy, um, my understanding in the space of taxation and whatnot. So, Ask questions, ask lots of questions. And if you're if you're accountant, if you don't understand what they're saying, then you know, ask someone else who maybe can put it in terms that you might understand. It's that really great phrase. Hopefully I'm not gonna bastardize it, but it's like the smartest person in the room is the one who's not afraid to ask the dumbest questions. You know, I know we both align on having corporate backgrounds. I can't count the number of times I've been in meetings where somebody's talking about something that's, you know, really complex or convoluted and everyone's sitting around the boardroom table nodding their head very seriously. And in my brain, I'm like, this makes zero sense to me. Surely I'm not the only one. Surely I'm not the only one. Exactly. And most of the time, you're not the only one. You know, there's this this real kind of um, like we think we're supposed to know all the things. And so if somebody's talking about something that we don't quite understand, we go, oh, my God, it's uh, it's me. I don't know the answers. Like, it's me. I'm, I'm not smart enough. When actually a lot of the time, and especially in specific discourses, for example, accountants talking about numbers, like because they're doing that day in and day out, they might be talking about things where there's just an assumption of base knowledge. And if you don't have that base knowledge, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. A hundred percent. And I'm the same with, you know, I remember when in my corporate life, the, in the marketing team would be talking about things and I'd just glaze over and not really understand. And I look back now and I'm like, why didn't I ask more questions? Now that obviously being in the online world, I understand so much more around SEO, SEM. I actually realized that, you know, a lot of the stuff that the experts were saying wasn't actually accurate. And I wish that I had the confidence and the balls to stick my hand up and ask. And now that I am, you know, the boss of my own business, I'm not scared to look like an idiot because I'm like, well, you know, if I don't understand this, then forever, I'm not going to really understand it. So yeah, don't be scared to ask questions if, if it is a little bit overwhelming. So To finish up, Claire, can you please share what advice do you have for online business owners? So I think we've we've kind of talked about things in terms of like your financials when you're starting and then again when you're scaling. So what are the two pieces of advice that you would give, a piece of advice for someone who's just starting out and a piece of advice for somebody who's scaling in relation to their finances? Ooh, great question. Okay, I think it's the same. Honestly, I think that it's like know your numbers. But also I think the biggest thing that I would tell myself in hindsight was that I wish I'd done the mindset work first. I know it sounds a bit vague and people are like, but what is the mindset work? You know, work with a, a mindset coach, do the mindset, read mindset books, listen to mindset podcasts because this is where your growth happens. It starts in the thinking, it starts in the mindset work and the things that you need to do along the way, how you show up, your marketing, all of that kind of stuff. That will flow once you have the belief and confidence that anything is possible. So yeah, that's what I would say is know your numbers and do the mindset work. Amazing. So same advice if you're starting and scaling. 
And I think that's just such a great reminder that like we don't have to be inherently different to do either. It's like we're the same people. We need those same tools to scale as we do to start, which uh, I think is wonderful. You are not that different to the person that you admire who's got the multi-six figure or seven figure business. There we are again with actually, there was one other thing I'm going to take us wildly back, but I just wanted to to touch on the sales conversation because I was going to do that before. And so this is the actual last question or the last thing to riff on. I think that what you said about profitability is so, so, so important. And look, I think just to give us a bit of a break, it's it's generally so much easier to talk about revenue because talking about revenue and then talking about profitability means going in and talking about what profitability looks like for different businesses. And that's where things get really ambiguous and different depending on the type of business, like you say. And so I think that Overall, it is just having an understanding of revenue and what you want revenue to look like alongside what you want profitability to look like, right? And so continuing to speak to both. And so I really, really love that you shared that. And it was, it's actually not even a question. It's more that I just wanted to acknowledge that you said that because I think that it's so true. And I often think about that as well, that I'm always talking about sales figures and mindful of always having those profit conversations alongside it. So thank you for sharing that. I just really wanted to honor that as we close out. Oh, absolute pleasure. And like I said, you know, it's sales is a really important metric to talk about. Like I'm not discrediting the value of talking about sales, but I guess the thing that I really want to support business owners with is that, you know, the two do have to go hand in hand, like you just said, because you know, when you see that number and you go, oh my gosh, that person's hitting that big number, they might not be making very much profit. And in fact, I had a client of mine, she was turning over $300,000 of sales a year and was only making $8,000 profit, which she had to split with a business partner. So this is why I I do want to open up the, the thinking around it to start to, yeah, allow people to acknowledge that the profit number is ultimately the most important, but the sales number, of course, is is a really good indicator of how profitable your business is, and it is a really important number to have hand-in-hand hand with your profit number. So good. Claire, thank you so much. Can you please share a little bit about where people can come on over and say hi to you? Obviously, you've got your own podcast as well. Let us know a little bit about where we can find you. Yeah, amazing. So my podcast is called The Claire Wood Podcast. (laughs) Very creative. Um, (laughs) And there's no no I. There's no I. Yes, in Claire. There's no I in it. Um, And I've had a very amazing guest on there recently by the name of Ellie Swift. So you'll have to make sure that you go and check out that episode as well. It was a really, really fantastic episode. I'm also pretty active on the gram at Claire underscore Wood underscore Coach. And just remember that Claire has no I. So if you want to come and say hi, drop me a DM. Love to catch up. Yeah. And I'm also on Clubhouse these days. I'm leaning into Clubhouse a little bit. So um, come say hi. I'm Claire Wood on Clubhouse. It's great because you can just sit on the couch in your knickers and no makeup and no one knows. I love it. I always put my PJs on and climb into bed when I'm hosting a room. I love that. I love that. It's almost like the sheer indulgence of just being able to do that. Thank you so much, Claire. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 